Your sister pledged to send her army north. She did. I don't see an army. I see one man with one hand. It appears your sister lied to me. She lied to me as well. She never had any intention of sending her army north. She has Euron Greyjoy's fleet and 20,000 fresh troops. The Golden Company from Essos, bought and paid for. Even if we defeat the dead, she'll have more than enough to destroy the survivors. We. I promise to fight for the living. I intend to keep that promise. Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Cast of Kings, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series Game of Thrones. I'm David Chen, and I haven't read most of the books in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. I'm Joanna Robinson, and I've read every book in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. Welcome to the show, everyone. What we do here on this podcast each week is we recap every episode of HBO's Game of Thrones in brutal and graphic detail. You can find more episodes of this podcast at GameofThronesPodcast.com. You can also email us at acastofkings at gmail.com. That's acastofkings at gmail.com, which is where you can find us on Facebook and Twitter as well. This week, we'll be recapping Season 8, Episode 2, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Season 8, Episode 2, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Joanna, I had this thing this week as well where the, the episode was not revealed. The title was not revealed until after I had watched the show. Did that happen with you as well? or? Uh... That's what the, uh, Like I said, that's what they're doing all season. I see. They're, they're, doing that all they're season. not going to... They're not going to... Re- reveal the e title until this certain pr email that they send to the media right after the episode with all the photos in it and stuff like that interesting interesting uh yeah so it was it was uh episode 69 (laughs) for for most of the night i think yeah um yeah yeah, it's funny actually i had a really fun time last week trying to guess what the name would be um and the episode's writer had told me that like i would definitely really like it wouldn't tell me what it was but he told me that i would like it so um i was having a really fun time trying to brainstorm what that would be i came with a lot of great ideas none of them were right mm, <laughs> so, mm. Can I, I gotta i mean i have to ask what some of the ideas were um i think oh i thought kingslayer would be a good one um or no i think i think a friend of the pod neil miller said that one um i thought um the Wolf Judge the Lion, which is from Jamie's like bathtub speech. A lot of them were like Jamie centric, right? Mm. Um, Here We Stand, which is a Mormont thing. I don't know. Maybe they weren't great ideas. I had a lot of ideas. None of them were as good. <laughs> well, like the problem was like I thought it was going to be Jamie and Brienne centric, which it was because the episode writers, Brian Cogman, said that A Knight of the Seven Kingdom applies to both Jamie and Brienne. But, and it's also the name of one of uh, a, a collection of George R. R. Martin's. Um, stories a night of the seven kingdoms Mm. but um the uh i thought it was going to apply to jamie and bran and i was like scratching my head because they've already done oath keeper and oath breaker (laughs) are like both titles they've already done and i was like what other jamie and bran titles are there so um a night of the seven kingdoms it is it is interesting that they're not revealing the title because it's not like the titles are super descriptive i mean even as you've just as you've identified right this uh title could refer to any number of people right so, I think they're not going to do it all season because I think one of them is going to be spoilery. And so they're just going to like, mm, you know what I mean? Like, like hide them, all, hide them all. So that, you know, the death of Jon Snow or something is the title right. of one of them. <laughs> and they right. don't want to reveal R- R.I.P. Daenerys <laughs> episode five. Yeah. So, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, we'll see. Interesting theory. We'll see if that's correct. We should also point out, by the way, that 
the first two episodes of this season have been around 50 to 60 minutes, but that I believe starting next week, every episode is at least 70 or 80 minutes. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it is uh, going to get real starting next week. Uh, So get ready. Uh, Before we dive into this week's episode of the show, uh, we want to respond to some emails that people wrote in to acastofkings at gmail.com. And this week, like a lot of people wrote in about the same topic. So rather than read any individual email, uh, I will just kind of bring up these topics that a lot of people wrote in to us at acastofkings at gmail.com. And one of those topics is, uh, like last week, we were speculating that maybe... Cersei's plan was to retreat to the Iron Islands with Euron. Like, that might be uh, one possible escape route if things go south. Uh, And people brought up that uh, that wouldn't work for a couple reasons. Joanna, on the podcast, you said that, uh, like... They have we have ice dragons now in the world, and like theoretically, they could fly across the sea, and you know it doesn't matter that White Walkers can't swim. So that's one thing. But other people also pointed out that theoretically, the Iron Islands are very inhospitable during winter. Is that true, or do you know anything about that? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, sure. Every time we've gone to the Iron Islands, it's like they put that like dingy gray blue filter <laughs> really intensely on the show. Um, and like one of the most famous Iron Islands scenes is the death of Balon Greyjoy on that on that rope bridge, and that was just in the downpour rain. So yeah, Iron Islands. Like if I were if I were I don't know that I remember we said that that's what Cersei and Euron were going to do. I think we said Yara was going to take them back so that maybe Daenerys could go there if she needed to. Um, But maybe we said that about Cersei and Euron too. But if I were anyone, Daenerys, Cersei, anyone in Westeros, I would obviously rather retreat to like the Summer Isles. Right. Or, you know, somewhere somewhere a little sunnier. I think I I floated Essos as a possibility. Yeah. or, or, yeah. or Dorne, you know, the the place we all love to be, Dorne, right? Who doesn't love to go to Dorne? Exactly. Um, yeah, so we can go to the water gardens of Dorne and hang out there and wait out the long winter. No, I mean, like, nowhere's safe, obviously, <laughs> with the Night King as a dragon. Nowhere's really safe. But they, I feel like they can't keep dropping this mention of, like, the dead don't swim if they don't plan to at least, like, have the characters believe. Well, it's like, it's like we'll get to this in this episode, but it's like how in this episode um, everyone kept saying... Hi to the crypts. You'll be safe there, um, which we will discuss whether or not the crypts of Winterfell are the safest place to be in during this attack mm-hmm. that's happening next week. Or, um, or are they literally the worst place you could be? Exactly. Right? I yeah. mean, that's my point. Yes. Like, hide <laughs> hide in the crypts uh, is probably a bad plan. And the dead don't swim, so let's go to an island. We'll be safe is also a plan. I mean, in Yara's defense, she doesn't know that the Night King has a dragon. So, right. you know, she's just basing off zombie rules right now. Uh, we got to change the plan once the dragon's on the on the map. Another thing that people wrote in about is something that has been on my mind for a while, which is hair, uh, and specifically the Lannister's hair color. In season one of Game of Thrones, it was made extremely clear that the Lannisters having blonde hair was an important plot point, a Ned Stark ending plot point, right? That that he realized that and that in some ways led to his death. Uh, And it seems as though the people in the show have just given less and less of a shit that uh, the Lannisters have blonde hair. Like Jaime and Tyrion have hair that I would in no way describe as blonde. 
right? Like if you looked at them on season eight, I would in no way describe that as blonde. Now, why do you think that a lot of people mention this in emails to a castingkings@gmail.com? Why do you, why do you think that is? Do you feel like that is a character decision to indicate how much they've changed? Is it that because it's getting cold, their hair turns color? Like what? Like what do you do? You have any opinion on why they've just cared less about this? Uh, you know, detail that was really important in season one, and now no one seems to care about it anymore. Um, I think the actors don't want to dye their hair anymore. I think <laughs> that's what I would say for Nicolai Costa-Waldo. I would say the actor who plays Jamie probably doesn't want to dye his hair anymore. I think Peter Dinklage wears a wig, though I could be wrong. I'm not sure on that one. But, um, yeah, if you look back to the pilot, they made Peter Dinklage, who plays Tyrion Lannister, as blonde as they could. Right. And it looks awful. Yeah. So, it like, looks pretty like, bad. I promise you, you don't want a super blonde Tyrion. Um, but of course, yeah, you're right that it was a huge, like it was a plot, a huge plot point, but so is, I mean, I, I don't remember if we talked about this um, last week, but like um, Gendry Baratheon's hair was a big plot point in season one because he had black hair like King Robert. That right. was a big deal. Uh, Joe Dempsey, the actor who plays Gendry has said they had him sh- like buzz cut his hair, which is naturally like, you can see it now. Now that it's buzzed, you can see it's kind of like a naturally like a little redder brown. Um, that they had him do that because people were confusing him with Podrick Payne. Because Daniel mm. Portman, who plays Podrick, has that like sort of dark, messy Harry Potter hair as well. Um, and so there are all kinds of those kinds of reasons why hair changes on shows. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Sophie Turner didn't want to, who plays Sansa didn't want to dye her hair red anymore. So now she wears a wig, you know, like there's all kinds of actorly reasons. Like maybe when they renegotiate their contract, Nikolai Coaster Waldo plays Jamie was like cool story, not doing the highlights this year. But what's also true. I mean, if you want to come up with an in universe reason why, because why not? Let's have fun. Um, we can think about the line from this episode where Tyrion, and talking to Jamie and he's like remember when we came you know years ago when we first came here uh you were a golden lion I was a drunken whoremonger and sort of like how things have changed and when you look when you look at Jamie season one where he looked like Prince Charming um and you look at Jamie now like kind of gray grizzled especially with the beard from the road and stuff like that like I think that distinction is important but honestly like uh Jamie has had brown hair since like season two when they put Jamie on the road. It's almost as if like he was away from King's Landing and his um, hairstylist and just his roots grew out on the road. Cause like Jamie on the road with Brienne in season two and season three has like long brown hair and a brown beard. Mm. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's something that I think they just decided to let go of for, non-in-universe reasons but if you want to come up with a metaphor i think it's fine to talk about both Tyrion and jamie moving away from their lannister roots uh you know metaphorically as a a manifestation (laughs) of that right right Uh, if you want to it's interesting to to consider that like sometimes actors get so powerful right they get so much uh, clout that they can basically dictate the conditions under which they will do the show right which is which is a reasonable thing right if you uh are like i remember jennifer lawrence getting pretty tired of like wearing all the mystique makeup you know what i mean in the yeah. uh x-men movies right and so uh so like in like in i think the most recent x-men she spent more of the movie not as mystique right 
Uh, and so it, it, actors are human beings, right? And uh, sometimes their preferences can shape uh, what they actually end up looking like on screen. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just interesting when that collides with other plot points uh, that are relevant to the story. So uh, anyway... Thanks for writing in to acastofkings at gmail.com. And of course, we'll go over your emails at the beginning of future episodes. John Robinson, this episode begins uh, at Winterfell. The whole thing takes place at Winterfell. And one of the things uh, that it shows is people eating at Winterfell, right? Like you see like Davos spooning in this soup. And I'm always curious when you see people eating at Winterfell, like uh, how how good is that food? Because it, it looks like pretty good for like medieval times. You know what I mean? It looks Okay, but like what you do have to appreciate about the food at Winterfell is that you know it is like organic mm-hmm. and locally sourced, you know, yeah. like that they didn't like go and get highly processed food to serve to the poor refugees at Winterfell. Yeah. Um, Jonah, do you, you think, know. is there like a service uh, that we can offer our listeners that might also be a sponsor of this episode that, that provides similar healthy, <laughs> delicious food? That's crazy. I had no idea you were going there. I definitely thought we were just going to talk about Davos and his stew. Um, Yeah, Daily Harvest delivers carefully sourced, chef-crafted smoothies, savory bowls, overnight oats, and more built on fruits and vegetables. Everything stays fresh in your freezer until you're ready to eat it, and you can choose from more than 50 nourishing options for any time of the day, ready to blend smoothies, these harvest bowls, the soups, and more. Um, we've been eating these in our house ever since uh, Daily Harvest sent a few over here. We are a big smoothie household anyway, but we were always we were like kind of a little boring with our smoothies. You know what I mean? It was like the same juice, the same you know. And and Daily Harvest is like, what if you tried? avocado in your smoothie and i'm like okay basically it arrives in these pre-portioned little cups with uh all the ingredients that you need and you either like toss it in the blender with a little bit of juice or if it's a bowl you know like a soup you just warm it up they're delicious you know that you're getting all the vitamins and nutrients you need and it's just like it's like it's it's like fast food but if you want to actually put Health, some wholesome things in your body. Mm. Well, daily harvest sounds pretty cool, Joanna. But uh, do we have any deal for our listeners? Can they get can they get a good deal from uh, Cast of Kings? Yeah, here's the deal, guys. If you go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code Kings, you get three cups free in your first box. That's promo code Kings for three free daily harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. That's daily-harvest.com. Thanks to daily-harvest.com for sponsoring us this week. So, John Robinson, let's get to the rest of the episode. And by the rest, I mean the episode. Uh, (laughs) The episode begins with the opening credits. uh, And we talked last week about how the opening credits would change a little bit as the season went on. Uh, So these opening credits are a little bit different, right? Uh, what, What is different about these credits? Yeah, well, so you don't get Last Hearth, obviously, because uh, we're done with Last Hearth. Mm. Uh, we should mention, actually, a, a strong feedback we got from people listening. And, and I think I just need to be a little bit more mindful of the fact that people are listening to this podcast who don't spend every day, like, eating, sleeping, breathing Game of Thrones. So maybe I need to just not assume that you guys know that I know certain things. But um, we forgot to mention specifically that Ned Umber, who is one of the, like, little lords of the Northern Houses, yeah was the kid who was, uh, you know, uh, zombified and then burned at the end of the episode last yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, we forgot to mention it. So a bunch of people thought we'd forgotten that that's, or didn't realize that that's who it was. We did realize who it was. 
that's why they were at last hearth, which was like the, the hold fast of house umber, uh, but RIP Ned Umber and I, bet, I guess a bunch of other people who provided limbs for that little uh, art show on the wall there. Um, <laughs> and uh, we should also say that um, the writer of that episode, Dave Hill, has confirmed that the reason why the Night King is so upset. And I think I talked about this on the podcast, but it was nice to have a confirmation from someone who worked on the show. The reason that um, the Night King is so obsessed with that spiral motif is because it's a spiral uh, is a signal of the children of the forest yep. who are the people who created them. And so the, the way they said to think about it is sort of like, um, I believe it's Satanists Satanist who will use like an inverted cross. It's sort of like a way to uh, blaspheme a sort of holy symbol. So mm. like perver pervert a holy symbol and use it for your own foul deeds. Oh, so sort of so they're perverting the symbol of the children of the forest, you're saying? Correct. That's huh. what I'm saying. Huh. Yeah. So they're not cool with the children of the forest, even though the children of the forest created them, right? Well, the children of the forest made it like turned a human into an, it's like, if you're a vampire, you're mad at the person who sired you because mm. yeah, you're a vampire, but you're also like, Hey, I was a human. What happened? Yeah. That's um, totally what vampires say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can imagine um, I'm it I'm sorry. I, for I forgot to do the Transylvanian accent. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> so no, the Night King is not a Targaryen. No, that's not intended to look like a Targaryen sigil, that Ned Umber thing. That is supposed to be a perverted version of the Children of the Forest spiral. So In the chat room, there is the question, TCL71TX uh, asks, who is the Night King offending if there are no Children of the Forest left, or are there some left? Um, I think there are none left, but I think you can still sort of, you know, symbolically throw your middle finger up at, at your enemies, even if, you know, they're yeah, all dead. Even if they're gone, and also, yeah. the children of the forest, you know, they, they made the White Walkers to, um, you know, fight men, but then they united with men. And so, and we'll get into more, like, what the Night King wants yeah. in this episode. Um but that was a long way around to your question, which was what's different in the opening credits. What's different in the opening credits is you can see these trenches that they've dug around uh, Winterfell as their defense and all these like little uh, spikes coming up out of the trenches. It's sort of like they kind of creak up as part of the clockwork kind of maneuver. And it's just to show that that Winterfell is transforming itself into like a battle ready uh, location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so very cool. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how the credits will evolve as the season goes on. Um, I, I suspect that if the credits continue to change, I mean, it, it does feel like, uh, does feel like maybe uh, they won't be vanquished. Um, the dead army that like those tiles will continue to advance south. Also, the opening credits do have last hearth. I just want to throw that out there. Um, so don't write in. It, it, it like it doesn't go into last hearth or anything, but it kind of like soars over in this week in this week's episode yeah in this week's episode yeah oh sorry I missed uh, okay. yeah it's thank cool. you I, i'm just trying to avoid you getting they, like a bunch no of i know about it. Yeah. thank you for preempting <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it does show last hearth like very quickly and then like you see kind of that the uh the blue tiles represent the night king army has like advanced past last hearth and is going towards winterfell and then the winterfell part is different and we'll see what happens to the blue tiles next week uh on the show so opening credits okay now this week the entire episode takes place in one location, right? So rather than like bouncing around, uh, we're going to go character by character and kind of talk through like every major thing that happened to that character, right? Um, so uh, let's start uh, by talking about like the very first scene, which uh, is 
quote unquote the trial of Jamie Lannister uh, or the Jamie Lannister apology tour, uh, whatever you want to call it. But he he starts kind of standing before Danny, who kind of lays out the relationship that she has with him, which is that she spent decades of her life hating him, dreaming of the day that she'd be able to have him at her mercy. Um, and now he stands before her, uh, not with an army that's going to come help, but just to say, by the way, my sister betrayed you all. Pretty awkward, but uh, I really like this scene, and I think that uh, you know the, a, a lot of dynamics play out. The relationship between Sansa and Jaime, relationship between Sansa and Daenerys, Daenerys and Jaime, and also, of course, Brienne intervening uh, and vouching for Jamie, right? Uh, so what were your overall thoughts on the scene, Joanna? I thought it was really good. I thought it was, um, you know, I, I was glad that it didn't stretch out too long. I didn't think it would. Um, and, you know, like I, I was telling people that I was looking forward to the trial of Jamie Lannister, but I didn't think it was like, I didn't think the episode was going to be the trial Yeah. because it, it felt very, like I just felt very certain that Jamie was not going to get like imprisoned or executed or anything like that. So why drag it out? Um, it's interesting. I don't know that I fully understand Daenerys uh in this particular scenario yeah. um uh, because of her relationship with her father and with her brother um you know like how she had her brother killed and how she disavowed her father basically all last season saying like I'm not my father so to you know to invoke uh, them in this yeah, scenario right yeah um her anger learning about Cersei though is very understandable. Her <laughs> anger at Tyrion is very understandable and um, her anger at feeling like, you know, uh, something that uh, I was watching, you know, they do these like making of videos, um, these 20 minute long making of videos these, this season. And uh, director David Nutter was saying that in the first episode, um, John was sitting at the center of the head table and then it was like Sansa and uh, John on uh, Daenerys on either side. And in this episode, it's Daenerys in the center of the table and the other two on the other side. And it's sort of like her first run at like being in the driver's seat of a meeting in the great hall. Right. Mm. And then Sansa goes against her and John agrees with the sister and Daenerys is frustrated because she feels undermined. <clears throat> and I'm not, I'm not saying I don't agree with her. I don't think Daenerys is right. I think Jamie does deserve mercy, um, given uh, everything that we've seen from him. But I can understand, like, if she feels like this is her big chance to, like, show everyone that she's a boss and can run a meeting. And then she just feels completely, like, powerless and, like, she looks like an asshole because Tyrion's, like, uh, you know, they find out also, oh, Cersei's not coming. Um, I can understand why Daenerys is, you know, having, having a bad day, I guess mm. I would say. Mm. Uh, spoilers for Die Hard with a Vengeance about, <laughs> about to happen coming up. But, you know, I, I, I'm a little torn on the whole Daenerys thing because on the one hand, Brienne vouching for Jamie and, like, I, I, I like to imagine Game of Thrones takes place in a universe where uh, honorable people vouching for others is kind of, like, enough to, to get them out of a terrible situation in exigent circumstances like the ones that they're in, right? So uh, I, I, I can kind of buy that Brienne vouching would be enough um, but you were saying like, oh, her relationship with her brother and father, uh, like why, why would she react in that way and, and speak of her father so, um, uh, reverently. And it reminds me of this line from, uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance where like towards the end, right. You find, you find out in Die Hard with a Vengeance that like the main terrorist character is the brother 
of the yeah. dude that uh, uh, Bruce Willis kills in the first movie, Die Hard One, right? And uh, at the end of the movie, like they have like Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson in a tough situation, and Samuel L. Jackson says to, to Simon, the terrorist, "Didn't you say you didn't even like your brother?" And Simon Gruber says, "There's a difference between not liking one's brother and not caring when some dumb Irish flatfoot drops him out a window." Which uh, is kind of how I feel. Like, uh, yeah, maybe uh, maybe right. her brother wasn't the best person. Maybe her dad wasn't the best guy. N- the, not the nicest guy, uh, but uh, she but still kind of. <laughs> Go were ahead. you just arguing the opposite with like Samuel Tarley last week? Yeah, like sure, his dad wasn't the best guy. Sure, his brother sucked, but like this this woman torched him, and he's upset about it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, it's the I, same I, I never thing. said I'd be internally consistent from week to week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I just, well, but yeah, I, 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 to me, it was plausible that she would still plausible. be pissed, right? Yeah. But yeah. but it's a lot. It's a it's a lot to get over if you've been told your whole life to like hate this dude. And then, like, oh, now we're going to just not kill him, even though he's completely at my mercy. I mean, she's killed other dudes for much less crimes than, like, what Jamie has done, right? Absolutely. And I will say that, uh, you know, the thing that really felt convincing about that scene, number one is um, it felt important that Brienne comes up and speak to him. She's not the kind of person to speak in front of a room. Mm. You know what I mean? So this just was, like, a huge gesture on her part. And secondly, I thought Sophie Turner's performance as Sansa, uh, like the softening of her face. Um, I thought Sophie Turner was fantastic in this episode, but I think the softening of her face as Bran is talking about not just what Jamie means to her, uh, but like specifically that he protect defended her against being sexually assaulted. And Sansa, we know like was not defended against being sexually assaulted. So like the way in which she relates so personally to that. Right. Um, and the way in which, you know, Bran can draw a direct line between like this man saved me so that I could save you. And that matters. And, you know, Sansa, Sansa is distrustful because of all the things that have happened to her and she should be distrustful, but the people she is loyal to, she seems very intensely loyal to, which we will talk to talk about when we get to Theon. And Brienne is one of those people for her. You know, Brienne has showed up for her, and so she's going to show up for Brienne. And so that that really landed with me, the fact that she would be at odds with Daenerys. I think the script more needed Daenerys and Sansa to be at odds in this scene than it really needed Daenerys's internal logic to be consistent. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, and then it needed John to be distracted by the news he got at the end of episode one and to sort of not automatically blindly side with Daenerys to show the distance between them because he avoids her basically the rest of the season, uh, the rest of the episode, you know? And so that, <clears throat> that's why I think her position is so strong because the script needed it to be you can talk me into that being a logical stance for her to take, but I think more the sh- the show wanted this conflict to continue between Sansa and Daenerys. Mm. Mm. Uh, very well put. And you, there's some stuff you said in there that I didn't even, I didn't even recognize. Um, I, so I think that's great. And uh, the Brienne speaking in Jamie's behalf, like I, I think this is the first time she's, or maybe the second that she's really been able to do that. And in doing so, kind of reveals her true feelings about Jamie, which uh, is rare for her, I think, right? From my understanding. Um, so I thought that was like very powerful. And like the way that shot was framed, too, where you kind of see Jamie out of focus in the background and like Brienne arguing on his behalf um, was very powerful. 
there's a similar shot towards the end of the episode. There's a lot of shots of Jamie out of focus sort of behind Brienne. And you see mm. what you see is a lot of like eye work from Nikolai Costa-Waldo yep, who plays yep. Jamie. And he's just sort of like flicking his eyes around. And so there's this one part where, where Brienne says like, um, you know, Sansa asks like, would you fight by him next to him or something like that? And Brienne says yes. And his eyes look over and up because she's taller than he is. Looks over and up in a way that I just got very emotional about. <laughs> So, yeah, I think I think the staging of it was amazing. This episode, we should say, is directed by David Nutter, who directed the first episode and will be directing the fourth episode as well. And David did, like, The Red Wedding, and he did Cersei's Walk of Shame. He did John's Death. He's done just a lot of, like, really Shireen's death. He's done, like, he does really good work with, like, very emotional stuff on the show. And uh, he was out of the game for a couple of years. I think I talked about this last week because he – because he hurt his back, um, and I. But I think him being back really shows in in these in these sort of smaller touches, like the staging that you mentioned. Yeah, and uh, I think you've already mentioned this as well. But that this episode is written by Brian Cogman, uh, who is an executive producer on the show, helped to write a lot of season one, uh, and is responsible for some of, like the most critical moments on the show. So uh, definitely cool to see like two Game of Thrones powerhouses collaborate for this episode of the show. Um, so the first of many powerful moments, uh, we're like five minutes into this episode yeah, of sorry. the pod. No, no, it's cool. We're like five minutes into this episode of Game of Thrones and I'm like, already like, wow, that was awesome. Like if, if it just stopped right there, I'd be like pretty happy with it. But then it continues. It continues. <laughs> More things happen, right? Uh, so Daenerys is like uh, pretty miffed per, for reasons that you've described. Um, she's also pretty pissed at Tyrion, uh, threatens to fire him, but then Jorah comes in and is like, no, you shouldn't fire him, which I thought was kind of interesting because we've seen very little that would convince people that like Tyrion is worth saving. But I guess Tyrion and Jorah have a history together, and uh, my take on this was that it's kind of setting up Tyrion to be somewhat important for the rest of the season, right? Is it, Was that your uh, what you gleaned from it as well, or...? I just thought it was interesting that Jorah um, had all this like mercy to muster for Tyrion, but nothing to offer Sam last week and nothing to offer Sam again later <laughs> in this episode. Um, yeah. Jorah's really letting me down, to be honest with mm, you, um, mm. with how he's treating poor Sam well. That means um, a lot coming from Joanna, too, because he's the, the biggest know. Jorah defender. So Usually, but this is I'm not enchanted by what I'm seeing, mm. no. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how that plays into like that comes into play, but I, it's, it's once again in, in, in a small way, the show kind of telling us like, Hey, Tyrion has a great mind. He's worth saving. Like, you know, uh, and we'll see if the rest of the season can, can kind of justify that, but it feels like it's setting up the rest of the season to justify that. So, uh, and then Jorah also asks Danny to go make nice with, uh, with Sansa and, there's this kind of scene where they talk about like, hey, uh, Danny's like, do you really think uh, I'm the one manipulating John? I'm the one who gave up my career so that I could follow my man uh, and come to Winterfell and like fight in John's war. She's not even really thinking about it as their war. Uh, and kind of this kind of interplay of like, hey, uh, I'm not manipulating John. Like, we actually really love each other and I'm willing to sacrifice things for him as well. And then Sansa pops the question that Jorah probably should have put to Danny in debate prep uh, of, like, <laughs> what are you going to do, you know, what are you going to do when uh, Sansa asks you about the North, right? And what happens afterwards? 
We defeat the dead. We destroy Cersei. What happens then? I take the Iron Throne. What about the North? It was taken from us. And we took it back, and we said we'd never bow to anyone else again. What about the North? Danny legitimately doesn't feel like she has even thought about that question when, when the question is popped. Um, so before we go to what happens to interrupt them uh, and kind of bring us out of the scene, what do you think of uh, that whole interaction, how she talks about John um, and Sansa's reaction? I thought it was really funny because, like, I'm, I'm sure you've seen Amelia Clark, who plays Daenerys, like, in interviews. She's, like, the most charming, one of the most charming humans on the planet, right? And so, but we don't often see Daenerys feeling like she has to charm someone. Like, not even Jon got this treatment last season, right? And she is just laying on the charm offensive so thick with Sansa. And not, like, in an insincere way. Like, I don't think she's, I think she's genuinely trying, but she's trying to charm her in a way that, like, I don't know that we've ever seen from Daenerys on the show. And um, I think it's in good faith, and then I think it has a breaking point. And I think with Sansa, like, there's some genuine and melting there too towards Daenerys but there's also like um Littlefinger had this great you know lesson for Sansa about like you know uh, you know be playing like be planning for every every war god I'm gonna bung like bungle it I don't remember it but basically he's just saying like always be thinking about every single <laughs> like every single move every single enemy every single blah 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 and and so like Sansa saying then what is such a little finger move mm. you know what I mean like that's her training kicking up and um I thought it was I thought it was really good and in character like this this idea that we're seeing Sansa deploying these tactics she's learned right. um, and, and like asking that question at a moment when uh Danny is kind of coming to her as a supplicant right like yeah, coming she's to her like disarmed right. exactly yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, we we have to say, by the way, like Sansa's outfit in this scene is pretty spectacular. I oh mean, yeah, looked yeah, amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. Um. So anyway, then they are interrupted by Theon, saved by the bell. First of a couple of like saved by the bell instances in this episode. Uh, Theon arrives, and they share this moment where uh, Theon explains why he's there, and Danny asks like, "Well, you know, why did you come here?" And he says like, "He wants to serve." Uh, under Lady Sansa at Winterfell. And she kind of comes up and embraces him. And it is uh, really powerful because you kind of remember, oh yeah, these characters went through this horrific thing a couple seasons ago where Theon saved her, right? I can't remember chronologically if this is the first time I cried watching this episode, but it was definitely one of the times I cried watching this episode. Um, I think I've made it pretty clear that I really love Althea Allen's performance as Theon. Um and I've always have. And to see him here, uh, I, I, the thing is, you know, like I, I know some things about this season of Game of Thrones as per usual. I know some things. I don't know other things. I knew Theon was coming back in this episode. That's the thing I knew. I thought it was going to like be all about Theon and Bran. And I, I just like forgot <laughs> about Sansa and Theon. Not like forgot they had a connection but i was just like that won't be the emotional crux right. but like a it is and b it's so powerful um 
the way it's played. And it's barely anything in this episode. They yeah. have this hug. They share like a glance basically in the war council meeting and then the, the meal at the end and that's it. But that's all you need. It's like unspoken because they, they it's such an earned payoff yes. from a really long plot in the show. You know what I mean? We watch them be miserable together, escape together. And so you don't need to do a lot of heavy lifting to make this moment mean something. Cause it means a lot the, versus some of the other reunions where we're supposed to feel a lot. And I don't always like when Stark siblings come back together, but we never spent a lot of time with them together in the first place. You know what I mean? And so like, in theory, I understand that it matters to see your your Stark siblings again. Of course it does. But, like, the Theon and Sansa thing just hit me way harder than I expected. And once again, I think Sophie Turner, like, the way this scene is shot, where Daenerys is like, says to Theon, why aren't you with your sister? And then it's a wider shot, and you see, like, Sansa in the foreground. He, like, looks at her. Then the camera is on a wider shot. You see Sansa in the foreground. You see Sophie Turner as Sansa, like, kind of swallow like she's just like taking it in and and i'm like oh no <laughs> this is gonna be so much um it's just it really really got me mm. uh radio Corolla in the chat room says they survived the same monster basically which i think is yeah. an interesting way of of thinking about it and yeah there's not that much on the page but what is there is extremely effective and yeah it really it really got to me i will say it did take me a moment to be like wait does this stark like hate theon for a second i'm like oh no they had that whole, like it did, i didn't like immediately remember that like because obviously theon and the starks have had a a pretty mixed history right so uh but yeah then i'm like oh right they they had that whole like uh adventure together where they bonded and it was like horrifying but also like um showed that they are connected in some way Anyway, I was I was rewatching. I recommend people do this if you have a lot of spare time. Um, I was rewatching their <laughs> goodbye mm. from season six, um, where they like say goodbye in the snow. Um, it's really really good. <laughs> so mm. like if if the Theon Sansa stuff like worked for you in this episode, I recommend revisiting that. Yeah. And then we should also maybe note that that Daenerys to me looks slightly displeased that Theon, who is you know like her. Bannerman, for lack of a better word, right? Uh, was like there to serve Sansa, mm. you know? Yeah. Uh, so Theon shows up at Winterfell this week, and like, I, I think at this point in the show, Joanna, you have to accept that people can just get around as, yeah. as quickly as they like. You can't, you can't really, oh, yeah. you can't really like say like, oh well, how how many weeks is it taking? Because if you want to enjoy the show, you kind of can't think about that, right? You kind of yep. have to just assume that things are happening. Uh, and that like people are getting to where they need to be and like don't worry about how much time that takes. But let's say you wanted to get from one place to another as quickly as possible, right? Right. Uh, and you wanted the perfect luggage to do that, yeah. right? I feel like the way you do that is with our next sponsor, Away. Yeah? Yeah, okay. So if you've never used an Away suitcase and you're traveling back to Winterfell where you were raised to go serve Lady Sansa and you need to pack at least a dozen or more ironborn to <laughs> go with you. I really do recommend the away suitcase. No, seriously. Okay. These are, this is great luggage. It's, um, they, they're these high hard sided, uh, you know, rolling bags. They're incredible. They always use like high quality materials, but it's at a like much lower. It's not going to like, as they say, break the bank or the iron. Yeah. Bank, like lug luggage is generally really expensive, yeah. but yeah, yeah this yeah. is, this uh, away suitcase offers a much lower price 
compared to other brands by cutting out the middleman and selling directly to customers. Uh, and uh, we actually each have an away suitcase, right? Um, I have two. I have two. You have two away uh, suitcases, right? Yeah. So. I, they come in like a bunch of different sizes, the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, or the large. And I've got the carry-on and the bigger carry-on in two different colors, so I don't get them confused. Um, and all of their suitcases are made with this German polycarbonate. It's complete. Like, I have... I am very hard on my luggage and I've banged up my luggage and my away suitcase has been a real, real tough customer. Um, and then inside there's this, uh, compression system. If you overpack, like if you shove, like, let's say two dozen ironborn into your, uh, suitcase on the way to Winterfell, there's this like really cool zipper panel thing. They're like compression system that helps you like pack it all down. So you don't have to sit on your suitcase in order to close it. Yeah, uh, and the unboxing experience is also really... Like, I'm used to luggage being, like, a really uh, utilitarian product, and, um, oh, I, I buy it at a store, and, like, it does, I, I don't think that much of it, but, like, I was genuinely impressed by the unboxing experience. It's like, wow, the, these the people who make away suitcases, they put a lot of time into, like, making it feel like a premium product, making it feel special. Um, but, Joanna, you know, one thing that is, is challenging about uh, buying things online is, like, you don't get to try it, right? Like, you don't get to try it and... And figure out how good it is before you commit to it, right? Right. But um, Away has this like 100-day trial where you can just sort of like live with it, travel with it, do whatever you want, and then just send it back for a full refund. There's also a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, they'll fix it or replace it. And also, this is my favorite feature of the Away bags. Seriously. The carry-ons have this uh, charging a little compartment where you can charge cell phones, tablets, e-readers, anything else that's powered by a USB cord. A single charge of the Away carry-on will charge your iPhone five times. And so if you've ever like been traveling and stranded with your luggage and no cell phone charger or no outlet, uh, <laughs> that's what your bag is for. Your bag <laughs> is the charger. Indeed, indeed. So do we have a deal for our listeners? For $20 off a suitcase, if you go to waytravel.com slash kings and use promo code kings during checkout, uh, that's $20 off a suitcase. You go to waytravel.com slash kings, use promo code kings during checkout. Thanks to Away for sponsoring us this week. All right, let's move on, John Robinson, to the next uh, character. Let's see. Let's go to more Jamie and Brienne stuff, right? So there's a little... Uh, conversation between Jamie and Bran, right, uh, near the Weirwood tree. And I think a lot of people were hoping, like, Bran kind of drops the the things you do for love line uh, or the things we do for love line during the uh, the opening scene in the Great Hall. And uh, that was pretty badass. But I think anyone expecting a big Bran-Jamie catharsis is probably looking in the wrong place because Bran not only doesn't care, you know, in the same way that a regular human would care, like, he's not even really Bran anymore, right? Uh, so they kind of have that scene and and uh, confront each other about it. But Bran's very like, hey, you know, like if you didn't do it, then I wouldn't be where I am today. And obviously that's great. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, what do you think? Am, of I, whole... yeah. <laughs> am I allowed to make uh, Avengers Infinity War comparisons? Because I've please, got a couple. Are, is it going to spoil Avengers Infinity War? I think at this point it probably will, right? It probably will. Yeah. Spoilers for Avengers Infinity War. This to me reminds me of Doctor Strange saying to Tony Stark, like, we're in the end game now and we need you. So mm. I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep you alive. That like Bran is like, we need you in the, like he, like, I feel like he's seen something feels that Jamie is important. And so that's more important than whatever the human name Bran Stark needed from Jamie Lannister. Mm. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, my other 
we'll get to my other Infinity War comparison. <laughs> so uh, Jamie and Brienne also kind of have a conversation, and like Jamie, th- there's this moment when Jamie and Tyrion are chatting, and then he kind of like Jamie like looks out uh, over the castle, and I'm I'm thinking, oh my gosh, have a have the White Walkers already shown up? But no, he's just looking at Brienne, I think, right? Yep. And uh, he goes up and says to Brienne, like, you know, I like I, I will serve under you. And uh, Brienne is, like, overwhelmed with emotion. She doesn't say anything at that point in time. But uh, that part also really got to me, right? That he is kind of willing to submit to her. Uh, I, I thought that was uh, very powerful and shows how far that character has come, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, my boy Pod is doing some good sword sword work yeah. in the background. He's really come a long way, that Pod, right? He's, she's been training for like five years and it's starting to pay off. But yeah, yeah. I know. Um, yeah, the, I really loved that, that sequence. It's obviously not the last we get of Jamie and Brand and not the most emotional, but it's like... It it really matters, and and something that is fun for people who love you know tracking the various swords on the show and stuff like that is like he's wearing his sword and she's wearing her sword, uh, when they meet up on the battlefield there, which I don't think was the case. Yeah, it wasn't the case in the hall at, because you know Grey Worm had his sword. Anyway, that's the two halves of Ned Stark's sword, Ice, coming back together for the first time since season four, and it mm. feels like. I don't know. I always get kind of emotionally like caught up in the fact that these two characters have two halves of the same sword. Uh, it's like the Westerosi best friend necklace or whatever. Right, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, can we? Can we yeah. So can we talk about swords for a second? I'm a little bit confused about the swords. Yeah. I, I wanted to. So like, yes. Yeah, so like Ned's sword, Ned Stark's sword is made out of Valyrian steel, right? And it was melted down to form two smaller swords. Uh, one of which Jamie has, one of which Brienne has, right? Is that what you yeah. said, right? Yes. Uh, so I'm curious, like, who else has Valyrian steel? Uh, oh, Ar- Arya what? has a Valyrian steel dagger, right? Do it, yeah. Um, All right. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I, maybe you want to talk. Yeah, I'll, I'll go what I can say, and then, like, you tell me if I'm missing anything, right? So uh-huh. Arya has a Valyrian steel dagger, uh, and then uh, Sam gave the Mormont, uh, Sam Tarley gave, like, his family sword, to Jorah, right? Which mm-hmm. theoretically is also Valerian steel, right? It is, yeah. And that's all the Valerian steel I can remember right now. Is there any other Valerian steel? Yeah. So, um, really quickly, Brienne's sword is called Oathkeeper, and Jamie's sword is called Widow's Whale because Joffrey named it, and I don't know why he hasn't rebranded it since then. But anyway, <laughs> those are those are two Valerian steel swords. Arya's dagger, as you mentioned, Sam's sword, which is called Heartsbane, which he gave to Jorah, as you mentioned, and then the big one is actually uh, Jon Snow's. Long claw is Valerian steel. Got it. That's the Mormont family blade uh, that he tried to get back to Jorah last season and Jorah wouldn't take it. So, uh, yeah, some nice swapping of house swords to other people um, in this episode. But those are the, those are all the Valerian steel weapons. Uh, so look for those bad boys to do some damage hopefully next week. Uh, but then also you might have noticed that they like were jamming dragon glass shards into literally anything they could all around Winterfell uh, in this episode. They had those like a, like a lot of those big uh, wooden crosses that were right. on the ground and just had like, you know, uh, dragon glass jammed all into it. So we can sort of envision if we want to a bunch of zombies sort of falling on those and shattering and stuff like that. So, And Valerian Steel, we know Valerian Steel can kill whites and white walkers, correct? Mm-hmm. Can yes. can dragon glass? We know that dragon glass can kill whites. Do we know if dragon glass can kill white walkers? Yes. Okay, so they're they're basically like interchangeable at this point. Is that right? In your opinion? Yeah. 
pretty much. One like another word for Valyrian steel is dragon steel. So mm. dragon steel, dragon glass, and then in this week's episode, uh, I have a little quibble, a little bone to pick with the show, but that's okay. Like whatever, it's the final season. Let's let let it all go. In this week's episode, episode, someone asked, "Does dragon fire stop a White Walker or a White?" And Brand says, "I don't know. Nobody's ever tried." <laughs> um, so like good brand impression. <laughs> thank nice. you. So. So we'll find out, but uh, I would guess Dragon Glass, Dragon Seal, and Dragon Fire can all uh, do that. I would swear to you that in the episode last season, Beyond the Wall, yeah, um, the white, the Night King and other White Walkers walked right through some Dragon Fire. But maybe huh. there's a difference between like Dragon Fire hitting you directly from the dragon above and like stuff that's on fire in the gr- on the ground. That was lit by dragon fire. I don't know, but I, I will tell you that I have seen with my eyeballs White Walkers walk through dragon fire on the ground and beyond the wall last season. If they want to change that rule this season, that's fine by me. I don't care. It's simpler to say dragon fire, dragon steel, dragon glass, all stop whites and White Walkers. So, yeah. You have a section here called odds and ends uh, and in the show notes. And so mm-hmm. why don't we just run through some of these right now, right? So we ta- already talked about the scene where Sam gives Jorah the sword, Heartsbane. I actually really like this scene as well. I think it shows like uh, the connection between these characters. Like I, had, this is another thing I'd completely forgotten that Sam and uh, Jorah's father had like a pretty good relationship, or or that Sam really looked up to uh, Mormon Senior, and him giving him the sword is like this really uh, meaningful gesture that kind of. Uh, is, is like Jorah has kind of been in the process of redeeming himself throughout the course of the last few years. And this feels like it kind of completes that redemption in some way. Um, yeah. 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 The, his, his dad's name is Jor Mormont, uh, J E O R hard to pronounce for me. Anyway, uh, was the Lord commander of the night's watch. He's the one who gave John his sword. Right. Um, I don't know if they had like a lovely relationship. Cause like everyone in the night's watch kind of treated <laughs> Sam like, uh, a burden, but he was like probably a little kinder than most to Sam. Well, I think Sam um, respected him. Right. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. When he's like, he taught me how to be a man. Like I was like, he also saved, like he literally saved Sam's life north of the wall. He like lit a, zombie on fire that was trying to kill Sam. So like he directly saved Sam at one point. Um, but I also liked the moment, the brief moment where Liana Mormont calls Jorah cousin, which like, I've been curious to see how Liana would, uh, receive him because, you know, he, Jorah was disgraced cause he was, uh, you know, dealing with the slave trade and he got exiled from Westeros and he was supposed to never come back to Westeros. And that's the whole reason why he was spying on Daenerys in the first season was to try to get a pardon to get back to Westeros. Um, so I was curious how Leanna Marmont, who's so rigid morally and unforgiving, <laughs> would deal with her cousin uh who is this like black sheep of the family and she was like tough with him but also like you know i wish you good fortune cousin like is there's there's some sweetness there that i liked seeing Mm. uh yeah i I really liked uh, you know i actually like the jorah stuff this week it sounds like you were not quite as positive on it i just don't know why there hasn't been a single second that jorah is like i'm really sorry about your dad and your brother like one line one line that's i'm sorry about your dad and your brother to sam Like, like he let Sam down last week by not like giving him any comfort when Sam was crying. 
Sam came and gave him his family sword anyway, and he still didn't say anything, and I just don't understand that at all. So no, That's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene where Davos is uh, feeding the troops, and one guy's like, oh, I'm really scared. That guy's probably toast next week. Um, but then he meets this girl that reminds him of Shireen. Um, Gilly's there as well. Uh, what did you make of this? Like to to me, it just reminds us that like Davos still has unfinished business with avenging Shireen. Uh, oh, but um, I'm curious, like what your take on this was? Sure, but also that Davos and Gilly both have a connection to Shireen because Gilly also learned to read from Shireen at Castle Black. Right. So um, that you know, um, I was okay. Someone wrote me a really mean tweet last week, so. I'm trying not to talk too much about interviews that I've done around the show um, because someone thought I was name dropping last week. But um, I was I did talk to this episode uh, writer, uh, Brian Cogman, on another podcast I do called Still Watching. And uh, he said that initially he wrote a scene for Davos and Gilly because they were just trying to, like, give each character like a moment in this episode. Right. <clears throat> and initially he wrote a scene for Davos and Gilly where they actually, like, talked about they like walked a long path <laughs> to figure out from each other that they both knew a girl named Shireen and mm. she taught both of them how to read and blah, blah, blah. Isn't that like amazing, funny old world? Oh, she's dead. That's very sad sort yeah. of thing. The way you describe like, this makes it sounds amazing, by the way. But no. Doesn't it sound? <laughs> no, and, and Brian himself was like, it was really labored. He was like, mm. so I got a note back from Weiss and Benioff and we rewrote it and we got to this point where it's just Shireen is just sort of like, there if you know where to look for it but it's not i just love that they never said the word shireen and then her song um which is called it's always somewhere under the sea which brian cogman wrote for shireen's introductory episode which is kissed by fire back in season three um plays really quietly on the score underneath the scene so you know like if you know what to look for it's there but if you're like my roommate who was watching it last night on our tv that's like kind of small and far away she didn't even see the scarring on the girl's cheek so she like didn't get the connection at all right so like you know so maybe you're watching you didn't get the connection at all or if you were watching and you knew what to look for um for me if you're like watching closely like the look liam cunningham who plays davos like gives that girl is like you know, a gut punch. And then also Gilly comes up and like what she could be expressing is just like, you know, maternal instincts. I loved Gilly's approach there, but also like, yeah, she has this connection to the same girl and it, it ties into the larger theme of the episode, which is I think underlined by the song we get at the end of the episode, which is the idea of like shared memory the people who leave and the people who remember them, who are left behind to remember them. Because presumably if there's a big battle next week, we're about to lose a lot of our favorite characters on the show. Let's just assume that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we spend this time with all these people to remind us, the audience that we love them. So we'll be upset when we lose them, but also like, let's say half survive. Uh, those the that half will have to like live with the memory of those people that they've lost. And so this is this is like a little preview of that. This is Shireen and Davos both separately but together remembering um I'm sorry, Gilly and Davos both separately remembering Shireen. And I think that I just really loved that sequence. Mm -hmm. Well, you speaking of remembering John Robinson, I mean I think that the, one of the big uh, reveals of this episode is what the Night King is trying to do, right? Bran is a <laughs> is a codex of all the world's information, apparently. Exactly. And yeah. uh, the Night King's trying to trying to get to him, uh, and and the idea is like that being that uh, that memory 
right? That that knowledge uh, of the past is one of the most powerful uh, and important things that humanity has, and that the yeah. Night King is trying to destroy that ostensibly, right? That's a, yeah. that is what they conclude the Night King is trying to do, right? So yeah. it's, a, it's the first time they've really kind of identified the Night King's motivations. Um, and uh, I think that ties in very nicely with what you just said, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. That is that is part of the theme, this idea of memory being our humanity. And like this idea that, you know, what does the Night King want? He wants endless nights. He wants to erase the memory of the world. And he's been doing so by trying to kill various three-eyed ravens over the years. And we say, like, I kind of got the sense of this in season six when he killed the three-eyed raven who was played by Max von Sydow. Uh, brands like mentor because it seemed very personal when he like stabbed that guy um, under the tree when they attack, it seemed like a very personal thing. And so this idea of Bran as his target uh, has sort of been my theory for a while. And this brings me to my second Avengers infinity war spoiler uh, comparison, which spoilers for Avengers infinity war brand has now become the vision of this season, right? Like in infinity war vision has this, has the soul stone right. infinity just gem in his forehead and everyone has to sacrifice everything in order to protect vision yeah. because if Thanos gets that, that's the end game. Well, that and went so, really well in, in infinity. Uh -huh, right? And like, I'm sure it will go equally well here, but like that, this is, you know, basically <laughs> this is what John is saying is like, you know, John is basically captain America in the scenario, which is perfectly, I'm perfectly comfortable with that comparison. Um, and they're all like, okay, Operation Defend Our MacGuffin, which is Bran, yeah. from this uh, all-powerful being that is, we are vastly outnumbered and on the back foot. Uh, here we go. You know, that is, it's a similar story. I, I just want to defend Joanna Robinson for, for something you said like five minutes ago about like uh, people being upset that you're name dropping. And I, I will just say that um, if you have never hosted a... Uh, let's say moderately popular podcast like a cast of kings, uh, then you do not understand uh, what it is like to have every word you say scrutinized by the internet. And uh, you know, I, I would say an extremely charitable interpretation, and the one that I will take is that uh, you, you know, when you when you bring people up and and like where you're getting your information from, like you're 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 basically sourcing the claims that you're making and. Uh, I think that's just very important because uh, otherwise, like people, you know, people have like can doubt you or like all all kinds of things that happen when you're not sourcing your information correctly. So uh, I certainly didn't take it as name dropping, Joanna. I felt like you're just backing up your points. So just wanted to put that out there. Uh, anyway, uh, let's talk about the other odds and ends. Uh, Missende and Grey Worm plan to run away when all this is over, uh, and I think that that is definitely going to go well, right? There's nothing that's going to go wrong with that. Absolutely. <laughs> Grey Worm is definitely not going to die horribly next week. Uh, um, yeah, or Miss Andy, you know. Um, <laughs> or both. Or uh, both. So, I, I mean, this is this is like kind of like the... <laughs> this, this is uh, Game of Thrones like not being at its best, I think, because it's like such a cliche that like, oh, we're going to run away together and, you know, go to see, like, we're going to like be on beaches and stuff like that. And it's like, no, this is like that, that classic scene in the movie when they're, they're like, the guy's like two weeks away from retirement and everything's going to go great once he gets to that point And then, you know, he dies. Like that's, that's what's going to happen. So, uh, as send off scenes go, I thought it was perfectly fine. So. 
Uh, yeah, and someone in the chat room just pointed out uh, to your point that I called the Mind Stone the Soul Stone uh, when talking about Infinity War. So yeah. please save your emails about that. <laughs> yes, the chat room is sa- saving us from a bunch of tweets and emails. So really appreciate that. Uh, and then finally, you had mentioned this scene like at the War Council where like they're kind of talking about Bran and uh, what they're going to do to defend the MacGuffin. I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, because first of all, it's hilarious that like the board that they have, it's just like they have no idea what the strategy of the White Walkers is. So they just put like a hundred of those like silver things representing the White Walkers on the board. It's just like just just throw them, just shove all that shit on there uh, as as much as you can because like we're just gonna assume that there's like thousands of them. Uh, I thought that was like a striking visual. Uh, and Theon and Bran kind of have their moment in that scene as well, right? Where, like, Theon acknowledges, like, hey, I, I took this place from you. Like, let me defend it for you kind of thing, right? Uh, any other yeah. things from that that war th- scene you want to mention, that war council scene? Once again, I don't know anything. But, like, in that moment, Theon shot right to the top of my uh, death pool <laughs> next yeah. week, uh, um, I will say. Yeah, let's um, let's talk about, like, like, let's do a death pool, like, at the end of the episode. I want to cover, like, all the people you think are going to die for sure. But, yeah. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, what else do I want to say? Well, it's kind of crazy to see all those people in one room, right? Isn't it kind of fun yeah. to see, like, all those, like, every single person around that board, maybe with the exception of Alice Karstark, who maybe some people don't know who she is, uh, are, are <laughs> like, people that we know. And that's kind of amazing. Um, if you want to pour over the, the sort of risk board plan that they had, um, you, uh, my lovely friend Kim Renfro has a nice breakdown on Business Insider of like what exactly the strategy is uh, in terms of like where the Knights of the Veil will be, where the Unsullied will be, blah, blah, blah. We know Brienne is on the left flank. We know Jamie will be with her. Um, and then Theon's guarding Bran in the Weirwood uh, Grove in order to try to draw the Night King out. And then it would appear um, that possibly there's some dragon strategy as well involved. But mm. yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's kind of fascinating. It's nice to see them all trying their best, but <laughs> we'll see how they do against an army of zombies. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. you know, we'll see. Hard to know. We'll see. Uh, so then there's a there's a big scene. There's like th- three other things we got to cover, right? There's this big scene by the fire. There's the Arya stuff, and there's the John stuff. Um, this big scene by the fire, right? The, the people gathering around because it's right before an important event. And, you know, Joanna Robinson, like, before an important event, I think it's important to look your best, right, oh, in your life. Okay. You, yeah, before yeah. an important event, you want to look your best. Sure. And uh, if if that's something that resonates with you, then we'd recommend our third sponsor today, Bombfell. Bombfell is an easier way for men to get better clothes. You complete a simple questionnaire and are matched one-on-one with a dedicated personal stylist. Uh, Bombfell never charges above retail price. They offer free shipping and returns, convenient home try-on, and the ability to preview and edit your stylist picks before your order ships. This is a, a fully personalized experience where every piece of clothing has been handpicked for you uh, by your stylist. And uh, you get like this stylist that, that emails you their selections and you have 48 hours to make changes and you, re- you receive the clothes. You have seven days to tell uh, what you want to keep, tell your stylist what you want to keep, and you send the rest back. You know, I've tried Bombfell and I think it is great because as I've mentioned on the podcast before and will probably mention again, I get most of my clothes from Costco and TJ Maxx. And uh, <laughs> while those clothes are extremely functional and affordable, they are not what I would say stylish. They are not... Uh, what I would say, great looking, but Bombfell definitely leveled me up dramatically 
when I started using it. Uh, and they also have this thing where, like, if you keep more, you get more in each shipment. In each shipment, the more you keep, the more you save. So, for instance, if you keep four plus items, you get twenty percent off. If you keep three plus items, you get fifteen percent off. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. And it's completely flexible. You can receive clothes when you want. You can pause or cancel anytime. So. Uh, uh, also, we should say that uh, it's not just for men. Like, if you are, I mean, the, the clothing are, is just for men. But like, if you are a woman and you have a male friend or a male companion, right? You can also sign up on behalf of your partner. So, or you know, if you want to dress in men's fashion, all the more power to you. Um, something that, and if you don't, if you hate shopping in the store, this is what I love about services like Bombfell. Is like, if you hate shopping in the store, hate going trying on clothing in the store comes to you and if you look hideous in it which you won't because all of bombfield stuff is gorgeous but if you look not your best it's not the right cut for you it just goes right back in the box and you find something better you know what i mean you don't have to like parade it in front of your friend and be like do you think and your friend's like oh no i don't think you know so <laughs> do that all in the comfort of your own home indeed, save the indeed. embarrassment yeah so to do this what you do is you sign up you tell them about your measurements you set your budget limits uh, you set up your order, you tell them what you want, like two button downs and a pair of jeans, and then you schedule when you want it, or you can let Bombfell surprise you. You get a preview email where your stylist put together puts together your clothing picks and sends you uh, a preview email. You can cancel or change anything you don't like, and then you receive the clothing. You have seven days to try it on after your shipment's delivered before they charge your credit card. Return what you don't like and only pay for what you keep. Shipping is free both ways. Uh, so we have a special offer for you today, uh, bombfell.com slash cast of kings we negotiated with bombfell to get 25 dollars off your first purchase at bombfell.com slash cast of kings that's b-o-m-b-f-e-l-l dot com that's b-o-m-b-f-e-l-l dot com slash cast of kings bombfell open and close all right so the three most consequential uh plot lines of this episode we have not gotten to, and we are now going to dive into Arya, uh, Arya, and uh, Gendry. Right? She gets a she gets a weapons update from Gendry. Uh, she shares a, a drink with the Hound and Beric Dondarrion. They kind of have like a, an extended moment of what they had last week. Uh, she has with the Hound, uh, and then you know Gendry kind of creepily sneaks up on her while she's shooting arrows and being a badass. Uh, and then you right here gets her weapon and much more. Um, so, Joanna, tell us about your reaction to this Arya Gendry pairing. I'm fine with it. <laughs> like I've actually been saying, I've been advocating, and I did not, I not based off any spoilers. I just thought it would be swell for at least one Stark girl to have a nice, healthy, consensual sexual experience before everyone dies. Um, John has had two girlfriends. His sisters have either been uh, largely asexual, that's Arya, or like uh, had miserable uh, sexual romantic experiences, that's Sansa. Um, and I just felt like it was time for the Stark girls to get some. So I was really uh, happy that uh, Arya got to get her rocks off uh, with Gendry. I, and because I've been sort of like rooting for that basically since last season... Um, I was like, yes, Gendry and Arya will back together and this will happen. Um, I did not see the blowback coming, but, and maybe if you like 
watch Game of Thrones like a normal person and don't live online, you didn't see the blowback either. I was mercifully like unaware of it for the first several hours of the day because I was busy working and then my editor sort of alerted me to it. But um, apparently this is just like a big debate. And I just think it's the most boring takeaway from this episode when so many other amazing things happen. But like for this to be a, a debate about whether or not it's okay that Arya had sex with Gendry. Um, it's, you know, she's a teenager. She's supposed to be like 18-ish in the show. The actress is 22. Yeah, you saw her as a kid, but like Amelia Clark was a kid once too. So <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I teen girls have sex. The end. All right. So there's this uh, amazing chat by the fire, right? Well, we should say like all the the Night's Watch and Tormund were able to get around uh, the advancing uh, White Walker army. They get to Winterfell safely, and then they drop the news that, hey, the White Walkers are going to be here by dawn, which actually I was genuinely shocked by. I thought we were still like at least two episodes away from any kind of battle, uh, but it really, I mean, I would be shocked if we didn't have a big battle in next week's episode, right? So, uh, and then they, they kind of, several of them gather on the fire. We got Tyrion, Davos, Tormund, Pod, Jamie, Brienne uh, chatting by the fire. And it's just some kind of chilling, reflecting on all the stuff that's happened. Tormund gives his backstory. Tyrion and Jamie reflect on how much they've changed. Podrick sings. Uh, what do you think of all this stuff? I was like openly weeping the whole time. I don't know. I was, <laughs> I was like really into it. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was so good. Um, the sort of just like, you know, convivial guys around the fire thing. Um, I thought was great. These are a bunch of characters we really like. Seeing them all together just at all really matters. And then this whole gesture of Jamie knighting Brienne. In the name of the warrior, I charge you to be brave. In the name of the father, I charge you to be just. In the name of the mother, I charge you to defend the innocent. Arise, Brienne of Tarth, a knight of the Seven Kingdoms. Us seeing Gwendolyn Christie as Brienne make facial expressions we've never seen her make before. Her, Her letting... There's this moment before the knighting that really hit me really hard as well. There's this just tiny moment where um, she looks up, you know, Jamie sort of says that he's going to do this and she looks up and pod gives her this like tiny imperceptible nod of like, it's okay to want this. Yeah. You can, you can have this. Yeah. You deserve oh, this. So good. And that wrecked me. And then I was just a, a mess as she and Jamie go through this, um, you know, ceremony and they're just lost in each other. You know, they're just like, there's this other moment at the end of it where Tormund starts clapping and Jamie sort of looks over in shock because he's like forgotten there's anyone else in the room, basically. Um, I, uh, this is a payoff of a story that started literally seven years ago. The first time Jamie and Bran were an episode together was May 2012. And um, they were sort of, tossed apart by certain adaptive choices that the show made that are different from the books. And I think Gwendolyn Christie as Brienne and Nicola Costa-Waldo as Jamie do their, and they're two of the best performers on the show. And I think they do their best performances together. And so bringing them back together 
for this huge moment um, was one of the best gifts I think the show could have given us. Um, I, 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 my mind is blown by people watching this episode saying like nothing happened or it was so boring or like whatever. I was just like so much happened right there. Like this is a declaration of love. This is, this is like, this is sex almost. And, and like, cause there's that shot of Jamie's one good hand sort of getting a better grip on his sword. That is like very Kylo Ren sexual as far as I'm concerned, but like <laughs> it's, it's this huge moment. And, um, and it lands with me in a way that unfortunately like the John and Daenerys stuff never has because John and Daenerys were put together over the span of like one or two episodes. Right. Yeah. These characters have had years to come to this. Yeah. And it, you feel that difference, you know, you really do. Agreed. I don't think I can put it any better than you did just now, Joanna. So, uh, I thought it was lovely. I agree completely that like I'm shocked at people who were like, not that much happened. We had our um, we had our discussion group at uh, at work today, mm-hmm. uh, where I gather with a bunch of my coworkers, and we you know during lunch we talk about the episode. And uh, at the end of the discussion group, I kind of go around and ask like people what their letter grade of the episode was, right? And several people were like B minus C plus. I'm just like, what? You know, like, you know, like I I just couldn't even imagine that that was the case. But yeah, a lot of people were thinking like, uh, I think there's a lot of people who watch Game of Thrones for the action, for the the massive plot developments of people getting slaughtered and and huge changes, huge upheaval. Uh, And that didn't happen this episode, right? None of that happened. It's it's all this is this is the kind of interstitial stuff that I have been longing for in the show. Yeah. Right? It's what the it's, show used to be yeah. so much more of. Yeah. It's, it is the, this is the act two material that a lot of the show has been missing for the last uh, year or two. You know, like that a lot of Todd Vandiver for this article about like how uh, the, the show would often skip act two. It's like, okay, Theon needs to go save Yara. Theon saves Yara. Like, that's the whole plot, right? That's the whole story. And like, there's no in-between stuff that like connects those two things. This is the stuff that connects the two things. And, uh, and I think it's great. I thought it was really well done. So, yeah. And then, you know, and then the pod song to cap it all off is just like, you know, once again, like <laughs> so I was watching that scene and Tyrion says like, uh, you know, does anyone know a song or does anyone know how to sing or something like that? And like I did a quick like calculation of who was in that room, and then I was like, "Oh my god, it's gonna be Pod, isn't it?" Yeah. Um, and I got really emotional about that. The song was beautiful. It's based on a song from the books. Um, you know, like uh, Dan Weiss wrote a bunch of extra. There's only like one line known in the books. I wrote this whole article about the song and its meaning in the books, which you can read on vf.com if you want to. But um, yeah, you know, we'll, Dan... link to, we'll link to in the show notes. It was I, I read it. It was very good. Yep. Dan Weiss, like, you know, wrote a bunch of new lyrics that were all really, really good. Um, and then I don't know if you heard, uh, well, I know you did, but I don't know if anyone listening heard the full, like Florence and the machine Florence Welsh did like a, an adaptive version of it, uh, that played over the closing credits, which I thought was incredibly powerful. And it's just a gift. It's a gift to give us, um, Game of Thrones fans, especially book fans, um, one more, you know, like they they gave us um, the Bear and the Maiden Fair and Reigns of Castamere. So I think, you know, now there are um, <clears throat> sort of like set tunes to those songs that like we all agree on or most of us agree on anyway. I'm sure there's some hardcore book nerds who are like, no, it's not my Reigns of Castamere. But like um, <laughs> these things that we all agree on, uh, it's always somewhere under the sea, you know, like stuff like that. And then to give us one last one in this final season 
and it's such a beautiful haunting one. And once again, it's about memory. It's about this woman, Jenny Woldstones, who sort of basically dances with the ghosts of the people that she's lost. And um, like, what a beautiful sentiment and what a beautiful like capper for the episode. Um, yeah. I, I just thought it was really incredible. And like, you know, Brian Cogman has said a lot of places, this is his love letter to the characters. All that being said, this, this meaning it, the song or the episode, the episode yeah. is his love letter to the characters. And it is. And I love that they let Brian write this. This is exactly Brian, what Brian excels at, um, that they gave him this like climax. It feels like of the Jamie and Brian story. Um, the, well, it's episode two, there might be more to come, but like this, you know, this huge climactic moment, I should say of the, of their relationship that, cause he got to do, the bath at Hall scene uh, between them, which is one of the best scenes that ever happened on Game of Thrones between Jamie and Bran. And so it just feels like gifts that the showrunners are giving us um, before it all turns to like bloodshed. But something that we should probably recognize is that this particular act two serves a, a function as well in that let's pause. Remember why we love all these characters before many of them are ripped away from us. Right. You know what I mean? Let's remind you why you love everyone. Ghost is here, kind of, even. In the everyone, background. In the background here. for a second. Yeah. <laughs> Ed, Ed Tollert, Lord Commander of the Watch, is here. Like, everyone's here um, for one final, like, nice-ish night uh, before it all turns to hell. So, you know, I just, I, I care a lot about this episode. I think this is one of my favorite episodes of Game of Thrones of all time. It ended, you texted me a very like complimentary thing about the episode when it ended. And I was like, I think it's my favorite episode. And you're like, calm down, Joanna. Um, I didn't say I, calm down. I said, no, 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 I no, said, no. I don't, no, no. I don't necessarily agree, but for me, it's like top five probably. Right. Not necessarily yeah. favorite, but like it's, it's up there. It's up yeah. there. Yeah. And, um, I just, I, I don't know that my mind has changed with, you know, like uh, some hours to reflect. So we'll see. We'll see what the rest of the season holds. But this this is like what I love. And whenever we've talked about the show and lamented sort of what we, uh, you know, and even the show, the people who work on the show, showrunners, the writers, talk about sort of phase one Game of Thrones and phase two Game of Thrones. There's phase one Game of Thrones, which was the adaption. The adaptation, I should say, which is up through uh, solidly up through season four, then starts to deviate in season five and then is off the map uh, largely from there on out. Um, so there's the adaption and then there's like sort of the original telling or whatever you want to call it. And I personally love the adaptation stuff like that stuff is my jam. That stuff that really has time to marinate in the world that George R. R. Martin has built what the show became later is still a good show. It's still really fun. It's so fun to watch it with you guys. It's so fun to talk about, it. but it, it hasn't hit me in this way until this episode did. Um, and I really loved it. Yeah. 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 Well, Joanna, we still need to do this one final scene, which is this, uh, Danny John confrontation, uh, where, uh, John's kind of like avoiding Danny the whole episode. Uh, and then, Finally, uh, meets Danny down in the crypt uh, and reveals the truth of what their relationship really is. And this is the third time in yeah. the show that we have heard yeah. this story being told. Uh, and of the three times, it is probably the best one, I would say, right? Uh, for me, it is the one where the emotions feel 
the most organic, uh, where sure, the performances yeah. are the best. Uh, I, I, I do think there's a kind of a couple funny things to uh, point out. Like one, one is that John says like, who confirmed, you know, like Danny's like, well, who confirmed this to you? And John says like, Bran. And if I was Danny in that situation, I'd say, you mean that guy who's been acting like a psycho the whole time we've been here? You know, and it's kind of now clear why they needed Sam and Bran to have that conversation at the end of last season. Because I think if it was just Bran, that would not be enough to convince Danny, if that makes any sense, right? Like, uh, if it was just like, yeah, Bran told me and I trust him because everything he says is true. You know, like, Danny would be like, really? And she does express skepticism that I think is really well put. Um, but uh, yeah, when, yeah, when she's like, isn't it convenient that your brother and your best friend are the only two people in the world? In the world that you're know like, this critical you're information. Like, Fair enough. Also, because I don't think he's ever showing up on the show, I will just give a shout out to the book readers and say, Helen Reed also knows the truth and he's somewhere out there, but that's okay. Uh, I don't think he's ever showing up on the show. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to land something that the audience has heard three times, two times already. Um, and, and at this point, I kind of want John to hire like a dragon sky writer to just like write it in the sky so that everyone's <laughs> caught up and we don't ever have to see anyone get the news again. You know, yeah. what's crazy to me about all of this, uh, the brand Sam reveal, the Sam John reveal, the John Daenerys reveal is that no one has yet. And no one has yet said, so that makes us related. Yeah. No so one has yet makes, said like, you're my, you're my aunt. Yeah, no one so has that said that. Yeah. Us having sex awkward not by targaryen traditional targaryen <laughs> standard right but you know the lannisters were hiding their you know incest so like at least in some quarters polite society does not you know look <laughs> kindly on this so yeah. yeah yeah uh so you know any other thoughts on this scene were you were you a fan of it i, I thought it was great like i actually really appreciated it um and I don't know. Like, how do you, how do you feel about uh, so Daenerys has this reaction, right, yeah. where she feels yeah. like threatened, right? She's like that. She's like, oh, that makes you next in line, which makes you my competition, and I have walked right into your family home. Like, he doesn't even say. I don't know why, but he doesn't say. Uh, I just found out. I don't think he says that in that scene. And I just found out. You know what I mean? Like. Right. So I don't think Danny is thinking that he, this is all one big elaborate trap to get her there. Um, but a timeline would have been helpful for her. He's like, I swear I didn't know. And I didn't bring you here, you know, to like put you on the back foot or anything like that. Um, so well, I, I do think, right, that some people have speculated, like, is this setting Danny and John up for like a big confrontation slash conflict? Which I think is is at least possible. Because Absolutely her, possible. It's her, certainly like indicated from this scene, you know. Her reaction is not, oh yay, like we're hey, we're yeah. on the same side. Oh no, no. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? She is very upset by the news. And uh we will see how that plays itself out. But uh, Danny has also not been the pe best like politician throughout the show, right? And like I don't know that she's gonna be able to navigate this in a way that is optimal for her. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very curious, uh, how, how this is going to play out. But of course, before any of that can happen, uh, <laughs> the, the white walkers arrive and, and by the way, uh, I, I think, you know, I, I was imagining certainly like a few white walkers, right. There'd be like, uh, you know, three to five, maybe 10 white walkers, uh, that would be leading this huge charge of whites. 
But it looks like there's like hundreds of them, Joanna. It looks like there's like a ton of them. Did you do you have the same reaction as me? Like that there's like a lot? Uh yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the army of the dead is here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Um someone asked why they all look the same. The White Walkers, someone asked me that the other day. Yeah. Like, why do all the white white like, you know, the Night King has his own style, but the White Walkers all like sort of rocking this like long elf king uh hair and stuff like that. Um uh, one idea is that they are all the children of Craster. Probably not all, but you know, uh, we saw the Night King made his like White Walker babies out of the like sons that Craster left out. The son, you know, the male babies that Craster left out in the woods. So you know, it's possible they're all brothers. They're all sons of Craster, which makes them Gilly's brothers. So maybe Gilly will have the ability to talk to her brothers or sam wow. <laughs> little sam maybe <laughs> you know i don't think so i was just i was just joshing but uh yeah <laughs> you're just joshing um okay so let's uh let's do the deadpool then i mean i so I, I guess before we do the deadpool like any overall thoughts like this is one of my favorite episodes if i had yeah. to give it a letter grade i'd say like a a minus at worst like it's extremely strong some people have said the something different than that it was uh, like nothing happened. Some people's complaints is like, oh, it's very fan servicey, and I'm like, yeah, I don't even yeah. know what that means because it's not like any of these interactions feel inorganic, right? Like it's not like, oh, well, there's no reason why so and so would be there to. There's no reason why Theon would be there to meet uh, Sansa. Like it's like there, there's an existential threat to all these characters. Like of course, like it makes sense to me that they would all coalesce in one location and uh, and have interactions that like make sense in the context of what they've been through over all the years. So I don't like it, I don't understand that term used as a pejorative. You know, like maybe yes, fan, if you if you think fan service is just a neutral term, like uh, it's something that makes fans happy, then yes, I agree. But uh, I certainly don't see it as a complaint here. What are your thoughts? Well, it's so funny because like so many fans are like, "Where are the dragons?" <laughs> so like you know, <laughs> um, but like, um, what do you can you think of an example of something that you thought was like fan service on the show? I'm just curious. Hmm. I'm not saying there hasn't been. I'm just curious, like what your definition. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I don't really. Uh, I I don't really think in terms of fan service. Like I think like, um. So here's one thing that might be fan service. Like, but it hasn't happened yet, right? Like uh, like Clegane Bowl. That feels like it would be fan service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right? okay, yeah. so because that's a situation where like. There's no like necessary reason for those characters to really meet. Each other, I agree. Right. I agree. So like that, but that hasn't happened. And also, yet, there's right? like no meaning to it because the mountain is no longer yeah, no longer human. Th- that's right. Right. So if Clegainebowl happened, that would be fan service. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like what in this episode I would consider could consider fan service, um, and I don't have a good answer for that. Um, but I, but I know that, that Brian, before he wrote the episode, Brian Cogman was worried that that's what people would think. He, he was worried about both of those things. Hmm. He was like, either people are going to think it's fan service or people are going to, uh, think nothing happened. (laughs) And it's just sort of like, it's because, yeah, this is like someone in our chat room said, yeah, you need to know the history of the show to appreciate this, this episode though. Like first time watchers wouldn't appreciate it. And I'm like, 
Yeah, but we're isn't that just like good <laughs> writing? Final season <laughs> yeah. of an eight season show, and like I get it that like a lot has happened. Like the show was off the air for a while. Like a lot of people have needed refreshers on what happened on the show. Not everyone is in as deep as we are, and that I totally get. Um, but I also know that some people just hopped on the show watching in later seasons without ever watching the first few seasons, just like read Wikipedia articles. And it's like, okay, if you never saw Jamie and Brienne, like when they had their long seasons together, then yeah, this doesn't mean anything to you. And that I understand. And you're just here for like the epic dragons and the fun memes and stuff like that. And that's fine. That's a, that's a different way of enjoying the show. But I, uh, but it means that like, you know, you're thinking this episode you know, is like, you know, meaningless or whatever. I don't hold that opinion very high because then you, you aren't coming to it with the context that it requires. It requires that you watch the whole show <laughs> to, to get the final season of the show. I don't think that's a crazy thing to expect of people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, any, any overall thoughts and then I want to get to the Deadpool. Nope. That's it. Okay. I got it. All right. We love the episode. Great job to all involved. Let's talk about who is going to bite it next week. <laughs> uh, so I think like of all the p- characters we've discussed, Grey Worm is like I-, I would bet you know money that that character's dead next week, right? Uh, just because uh, like no, Theon's higher on my list. Really interesting. Yeah, I-, I think Theon is also on my list, right? Because he is at this point his arc is complete, right? Like yeah. he has mm-hmm. he has started out as a weak character. He came became even weaker, became even more of an asshole. Um, and then, like, has been slowly redeeming himself over the last few years. And then finally fighting under Sansa. Like, that is the completion of his redemption. Character doesn't need to do anything anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say Theon also on the Deadpool, in my opinion. Yeah. Or the Deathpool, yeah. whatever you want to call it, right? I will say, just from, like, I know that I get uh, accused of being, like, a social justice warrior or whatever. I think that sometimes when you r- run a show and are about to kill a bunch of people, you have to consider the optics. And I think if you have literally two characters of color on your entire show at this point, uh, that actually gives, to me, that gives, not to sound cynical about it, but that gives Grey Worm Ascendi a little bit of plot armor as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. Okay. So you know you what I mean? Think, well, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I, I don't know, dude. I think that... Uh, I Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think right. Grey Worm's dead, but we'll, we'll find out. Uh, Gendry, I think, is probably uh, not long for this world because... Uh, he he kind of told Arya the whole thing about being Robert's bastard. Like so, like his function as Robert's bastard can now be carried on. A lot of people reference season one, episode two or three, where Robert Baratheon says, "Like uh, I have a son, you have a daughter, Ned. Like let's." Season know. one, episode one. Oh, episode pilot. one. Yeah, there yeah. you go. I have a I have a son, you have a daughter. Like let's join our houses, and like that is kind of what they did in this episode. It's come full circle. That they are joining their houses, uh, and maybe Arya is pregnant with Gendry's child. Do you? No, you why? Ever... What? <laughs> no. Does it do? Like, I, uh, <laughs> like yeah. maybe, like maybe, but like, why is that always? Like, every, I swear to God, every time <laughs> female character on this show has sex with someone, people are like, "Is she pregnant?" Unless it's Cersei, and then she's like, "They're like, she's lying that she's pregnant." Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand why that's the fault. Like the next. Anyway, I okay. Know. I'm sorry. I was, just, I, was just, I was just bringing up some things I had heard. You know that like people had said like maybe maybe like that's the like their houses will continue together. Like you know the lineage maybe. of those houses will continue, uh, and it will take that form. Maybe 
maybe. I prom <laughs> I promise to come back and say I'm sorry for my. But reaction. I'm very I'm very sorry for bringing up that possibility, no, Joanna. Okay. I'm just so, still traumatized over the Sansa's pregnant thing. Yeah. Like like a Stark girl has sex once, uh, or <laughs> is sexually assaulted once, and the like. Then we have to talk about is she pregnant for the next like however many episodes. So I don't know. I'm gonna ask you for a yes or no vote, uh, or like live or die vote. Like just to keep it clear, like live or die, uh, on the following characters. Okay. Uh, I'm just gonna run down and you just give me like the first thing that comes to mind. Is that cool? Sure. Okay. So uh, Tyrion, next, and we're talking like end of next week's episode, not like end of series. End of next week's episode. Tyrion lives. Jamie. Question mark. Brienne. Question mark. Hmm. I think a lot of people have been voting like Brienne's dead, like because like she had that moment, and now like you know her arc theoretically could be complete as well, but like. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe there's more plans for Jamie and Brienne later on in the show. Uh, I would say I'm more inclined to think Brienne's dead than not. Um, mm. uh, Gendry, just to cover that off. Um, I have a question mark over him as well, but I mean, I, I would like to think that the show is a little better than like have sex, you know, the horror movie trope of have sex, die the next episode. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'd like to think the show is better than that. So we'll see. Arya? Uh, safe. Yeah. Um, uh, Sansa? Question mark, but probably safe. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right as well. A Torment? Mm, unlikely. Like he's probably going to die? I think so, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's very likely. I think here's, here's my thesis. And honestly, like, I don't, I don't know... I don't know what's going to happen. Here's what makes sense to me narratively. And I've said this elsewhere, the B string, which is, and we've talked about this actually on this podcast, the B string is just full of all of our faves. Like a lot of our faves are in the B string. Like that's, that's Jorah. That's uh Tormund. That's like the hound. That's Beric. Well, blah, blah, blah. I think a lot of our B string is going down next week. Um, and then at least one significant A stringer, to make it feel like it matters, mm. really matters. And I, my odds on favorite for that is Theon. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's what makes sense to me because this is episode three of a six episode season. Mm. Right. Yep. So like a lot of our main characters, I think are going to survive only because that makes sense to me in a six episode season. They could go even higher. I mean, they could kill a Sansa. They could kill a Jamie. That could happen to make us like really feel it. Um, but I think Theon will probably get us there. Um, and then we have three more. I know it sounds so calculating, but this is sort of like how you have to like, I, I imagine, uh, uh, let me tell you another, uh, Avengers story really quickly. Cause this podcast episode isn't long enough. Um, <laughs> I was talking, once again, this is not a name drop, I hope, but I was talking to Marcus and McFeely, uh, who are the screenwriters in a lot of Marvel's movies, uh, including Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. And I was talking to them about who survived the snap, uh, which is an Infinity War phenomenon in which some characters did not survive. Um, and they were like, oh, yeah, well, we got to decide who it was. And like for some reason, I just never thought of it that way. And so then I've, I had this vision of Marcus McFeely as like, as Thanos in a room with a board with all these names on it. And they're like, safe, not safe, safe, not safe. And the re you know, they talked about it. The reason they needed to find the perfect storytelling, like stew that would make Endgame worth it. 
and like there's some people that survive the snap that you're like okay you know marvel hq told you those people had to survive but then there's like some leeway around the edges of Mm -hmm. what they got to decide would make the most sense for interactions going forward and so I imagine the writers on Game of Thrones playing calculus and they're like, okay, we need a this, you know, cause they're not adapting the books at this point. We need a this and a that and this other thing and this other thing to make our last three episodes satisfying. And we can, and if we kill all these people, our viewers will be shocked and heartbroken and they will really feel the power of the Night King. Um, that's how I think about who's going to die and who's going to live, you know? All right. All right. Um, yeah, I think Theon is probably not long for this world as well, and I, I think that's a perfectly uh, plausible theory of how it's going to go now to next week. Uh, we, we should also point out that uh, a lot of people have brought up the strategic errors that were like might be made next week, specifically. Oh yeah. Right, like like hey, let's put everyone like underground in the crypt. Uh, let's put them all near the place where a bunch of people can be revived. Right. Uh, by the Night King. And they, they also have, like, no plan for, like, burning each other or, like, burning people. They say, like, hey, like, kill each other, like, burn each other before anything. But it doesn't feel like it's, like, a widespread understanding that, like, they should burn each other. And so it feels like there's a lot of, like, um, <laughs> a lot of mistakes that might be made during the battle next week. Do you have any assessment on, like, the, the battle readiness of Winterfell? Um, I don't understand, and I was, I think I was talking to you about this earlier, I don't understand their plan of retreat if they need one i don't have a clear understanding of that um i don't i I feel like i largely understand their plan um but not fully like i'm not entirely certain why they're putting all their men out front instead of inside the walls of winterfell there's this line in season maybe there's just too many of them but there's this line in um season six battle of the bastards or before the battle of the bastards where they're saying like Ramsey could win the battle just by staying inside Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Um, then again, he had the upper hand, he had more men, but um, that Winterfell is so Winterfell gives you the, the upper hand being inside of it. Right. So why would you send all of your troops out in front of it? And I eagerly anticipate all the emails we're going to get from people who understand battle strategy better than I do and can explain to me why. Um, I don't really understand that, but I'm willing to accept that maybe I'm wrong. I imagine that there's some plan with the fact that two people on this show know how to ride dragons at this point. I imagine that that's something that's going to come into play. Um, But I will say all this talk, hilarious talk of the fact that the crypts of Winterfell are a super safe place to send little soup girls and Gilly and whoever else needs protecting. Uh, It's hilarious when like your main antagonist, like like his main thing is that he can raise the dead. So you're going to send people down to where all these dead bodies are. (laughs) That seems like a bad idea. Yeah, really does feel pretty, pretty tough. It's and it's, and like John has seen him revive the dead art like at yeah. Harvard, right like he's seen yeah. it happen yeah so so it's it's uh it's nuts to me that this has not occurred to anyone on the show that sending people down into the crypts um that being said like from a narrative point of view like the, you know this is a this is a, a theory that people have once again as far as I know not based on any spoilers the Night King will raise. Uh, what they call the Kings of Winter, which are the the Stark uh, figures down in the crypt. My main issue with that, like that, that seems like 
a very evocative thing to do, a very symbolically evocative thing to do. My issue with that is that a lot of those bodies are just skeletons. And I feel like we learned in um, the episode, the children where Jojen got stabbed a bunch in the belly that like skeleton whites are like the least interesting of the whites. <laughs> the least you know visually mean? interesting. Yeah. And like, especially Ned, a bunch of people are like, what if Ned Stark comes back to that? I especially hate that theory because like Ned Stark is just a skeleton with no head. Like they boiled his bones. They, they, they made a point to the fact that like Ned Stark is just boiled bones with no head. So that's going to, that jumble of bones is going to come up and like, terrorize the Stark family like that that makes no sense to me um we do know Rickon's down there uh John put him down there after the Battle of the Bastards and they didn't like uh burn him or boil his bones as far as I know and that was you know not that long ago maybe a couple years ago so maybe there's still some meat on good old Rickon there um (laughs) little little finger was killed recently in Winterfell but I don't think he'd be down in the crypts but, like, it doesn't make sense to me that, like, Catelyn Stark or Lyanna Stark or stuff like that, that, that because they're unidentifiable to us. You know, we might see them, like, crawl out of the crypts, but then, like, that's unidentifiable to us. I think what's going to be so much more emotionally devastating is this concept, and I can't remember if I talked to, this, to you about this already, but imagine this concept. Um, that your favorite character is going to die next week, whoever that might be. Um, let's say it's Brienne. It's Brand's gonna die next week so we watch her die and that's really sad then we watch her come back from the dead and we have to watch her be undead and then we have to watch someone who maybe loves her kill her again yeah that's a narrative potential that this whole premise has um that is more emotionally compelling to me than a bunch of bones in the winterfell crypt coming up to menace people well that's where you and i differ joanna robinson (laughs) no I, i i agree i think that is really narratively interesting and we shall see how it plays out next week. Um, so that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of A Cast of Kings. You can find more uh, episodes of this podcast at GameOfThronesPodcast.com. Uh, you can email us at acastofkings at gmail.com. That's acastofkings at gmail.com, which is also where you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, this episode was produced by Baby Zhang. And we want to thank our sponsors for this episode, Daily Harvest, Away, and Bombfell. Daily Harvest, Away, and Bombfell who sponsored this episode. We really appreciate it. They made it possible for us to do this episode. Until next week, Joanna Robinson, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can hear me on some other Game of Thrones podcasts, including Storm Spoilers and still watching Game of Thrones. I'm making a couple of YouTube videos per month at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen, S-K-Y. Uh, you can subscribe uh, to get more of my stuff. And DaveChen.net slash letters is where you can subscribe to my emails. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Jenny would dance with her ghost The ones she had lost And the ones she had found And the ones who had loved her the most The ones who'd been gone for so very long She couldn't remember the names They spun her around on the damp old stones Spun away all her sorrow and pain And she never wanted to leave Never wanted to leave 
never wanted to leave never wanted to leave never wanted to leave never wanted to leave